0: Hello and welcome to the Steve Poos Benson Podcast. It's good to come to you here today. It is a Sunday afternoon. I am downstairs in my basement office. I have my low-tech studio set up with my snowball microphone, my trusty Macintosh laptop, and my garage band programming. I'm bringing you this underground radio. I just love this. Sometimes I think it's like I'm bordering on something illegal. I think it's so much fun to do a podcast. But it's Sunday. It's Sunday. We had a great day at church today. We did a drive-in worship service, and I thought to myself, you know, I've preached in a lot of crazy places, I've preached in bars. I've preached in restaurants. I've preached at parties. I've preached in a cattle auditorium one time. I preached in uh, open-air auditoriums, closed-air. I just preached everywhere. But this is the first time I preached to a drive-in crowd. That was a lot of fun. People honking their amens, and uh, instead of applauding, they were honking. That was a lot of fun. Anyways, the purpose of this podcast is... You know, I do this uh, every week, every other week, because I want to share with you my thoughts and uh, insights about ideas about life, because I want to spark your own insights and your own ideas. I hope that you're just not listening to this podcast and cruising through life. I want to, hopefully, to take something from this that acts as a catalyst in your own life, that helps you touch into your own ambitions, your own desires, your own drives, your own spirituality, your own faith, so that it unleashes something inside of you so that you want to do something creative with your life. You want to do something new with your life. You want to live in some type of unique and extraordinary way. That's the whole purpose of the podcast. Okay, Today, I want to begin a two-part series where I share with you a story that I had to learn about forgiveness, where God taught me a profound lesson about forgiveness, And then the second part is I'm going to tell a story about how I learned how God works in very strange and mysterious ways. And it all goes back to this one story I have is uh, when I had my identity stolen. You know, um, I want to tell the story of forgiveness that I had to learn when my identity was stolen. Because I really believe that forgiveness always has a story connected to it. You know, uh, when you tell the story about your process of forgiveness, it touches something deep inside of you. It touches a wound inside of you. For, you know, forgiveness is kind of a messy thing where it's just not clear and cut. It's not snap decision. You don't go, you all know, shake hands and make up. No, you know, forgiveness makes you look into the mess of your life and the mess of somebody else's life. And it helps you come to some kind of, uh, of peace some type of inner peace, some type of conclusion about your relationship with somebody else. And that's why I think for forgiveness is such a profound topic and that so many people wrestle with that I wanted to spend a couple of weeks talking about it here on the podcast. Okay, the story. Uh, when I had my identity stolen, it was about 10 years ago. And I have never thought, uh, forgotten this story, even though it was 10 years ago. You know, I never thought that um, somebody was going to steal my identity. I'd heard all about it until someone did steal my identity. And the story begins on a Sunday afternoon after church. Everybody had left the parking lot. I was uh, by myself. I'd come out of my office to find that the driver's side window of my truck had been smashed in. You know, um, there's nothing more sick in the stomach feeling than seeing the, the window of your car smashed in. You know, because they're only after one thing, they're after whatever you left inside of there. And I looked in and quickly saw that the pack, my fanny pack, where I kept, where I kept my um, my keys, my wallet, my checkbook, all my valuables, it was gone. I had gotten into this terrible sloppy habit of putting it between the seats and covering it up so no one would think that it was there. Well, what a stupid thing. A thief knows exactly what's inside the car. They were cruising around through the parking lot. They saw an empty parking lot. They saw a car. They saw a coat covering something. They had that window smashed and they had reached in there and they grabbed it in seconds. If there's one thing that I want you to take from this podcast is never, ever leave your valuables in your car. It takes just a second to pick it up, to put that purse over your shoulder, put the wallet in your in your uh, in your pants pocket, do something. Never ever leave anything out there that people could could, could steal. Because what they stole for me, it was my uh, my wallet. They took my um, ID. They uh, the worst thing was that they had a whole book of checks, a stack of checks. Never leave a checkbook in a car. Oh. My gosh, what a mistake that was. Um, and the only thing that didn't have, thank goodness, was my social security card. You know, I used to do stupid thing and carry my social security card with me. It's like, stop doing that. If you have your SS card, uh, get it out of your personality of your wallet. All right. So when I, when I saw it, you know, just like everybody else, my stomach sank. This panic feeling kind of broke out in my in my um, in my gut. I immediately called 911 to report the break-in. Uh, they said they were going to send somebody over, and I then I called Phoebe, and we started working immediately on the phone canceling our credit cards. You know, luckily she had a copy of the credit cards. This is another lesson: keep a photocopy of your credit cards. Uh, somewhere um not on your person but somewhere in in your home in an office or someplace so that if something like this happens you have the number that you can call to cancel the credit card boy did i learn that one so she had the number we canceled the credit cards and what we found within minutes they had filled uh two cars with gas they then they went to Best Buy and they bought a uh, $800 stereo system. So they were moving fast because I had those uh, cards canceled within an hour, and they had made some significant purchases just in that in that hour time frame. So uh, the the cop came and he um, he took the uh, all the information down, and he said, you know, that I should probably get an attorney. Because my life was going to become a living hell, and um, I had no idea how right he was going to be. Because my life was on the, the quick path to becoming a living hell. So here's the here's why he became such a hill hell. The um, the thieves had my identity. They had or they had my ID. They had my driver's license. They had those checkbooks. So any time they made a purchase, there was a crime. They were forging a check. So each new time, each time that the crime was committed, the crime needed to be reported by the store by which the check had been written. It had been in my name, so I had to contact the local police in that particular municipality, and I had to file a claim. I had detect- detectives up and down the front range calling me about each case. And it literally became a tangled knot because these thieves went all over the metropolitan area. They went to Fort Collins, they went to Boulder, they went to Colorado Springs, and they were opening check counts everywhere. And everywhere they went, I had detectives calling me, and it just became this tangled web of a financial mess of what these thieves have done to me. Um, You know, I couldn't afford a lawyer. You would have taken thousands of thousands of dollars in attorney fees to sort this whole thing out. So I decided to do, I didn't decide to, I had to do it on my, on my own. And every day of every week, I spent time trying to untangle this knot that these people had done to me. Um, They were literally destroying my life financially from the inside out. You know, it was like they had a facade of me. You know, if you think about this, having your identity stolen. What is your identity? What makes you you? What is it that you look like? What are the values that you carry? What are the morals by which you live by? People had this they have this facade of me, and they were creating a whole new identity for me based out of, of the, the checks, the credit cards, and, the, and my driver's license that they had. And they created... This whole new me that they were projecting out into the world. And it was a mess. They were creating a mess with my life. I used to think, look at, if you want to steal my identity, why don't you just take the whole thing? Take my stress at work. Take my stress with my family. Take my stress at kids. Just don't take my finances. I mean, if you're going to steal me, then you know what? Steal me. Just don't make this a surface thing. I mean, really get after it with me. And it became so frustrating for me. You know, First I was sad, and then I became depressed, and then I became angry. And as this thing wore on month after month after month, I became enraged uh, by what these people do. I used to feel like, how dare these people try to destroy my life in this way? You know, I, uh, I tried to keep the anger hidden. I mean, ministers, after all are not supposed to get angry. If they get angry, they're not supposed to show their anger. They're supposed to deal with their anger in appropriate ways. But the more I tried to push it down, the more the anger bled out all around the edges. And the anger started showing up in letters that I had written, emails that I had written, counseling sessions that I was holding. They definitely started showing. It definitely started showing up in sermons. It became uh, quite apparent to all that I was not doing well and anger was consuming me. You know, it was one afternoon that one of the elderly members of Columbine uh, came, and she was in her late 70s, and so that's not so elderly, the older I guess. She was in her late 70s. She made an appointment to come in and see me, and I'll never forget her opening line. After I asked her, so uh, what can I do for you? Why are you here? She said, I'm here because God sent me to tell you that you need to forgive them. And I remember thinking, what? She said, yeah, God sent me to tell you that you need to forgive them. And I hate it when people have listened to what I've preached and taught and then they come and they throw it back into your own lap. I mean, here God had sent this woman to tell me I needed to get with the deal and I had to forgive them because the anger was consuming me. I think that's what happens Is when someone has done you wrong, it's that whole notion of that uh, you drink the poison and you wish that they would die. You know, that I hated these people. I wish that they would die. But my bitterness and resentment that I felt about these people was like a, a poison that I was drinking and it was killing me. And God is basically sending this woman as a messenger to me saying, you know what? You gotta stop it. You gotta let it go. You have got to figure out how to forgive. And so I knew she was right, and I had to begin the long, uh, the long process. So I went to a book that uh, one of my favorite books on forgiveness. It's a simple little book, but it, when I first read it back in the '80s, man, it changed my life. And it's called "Simply the Art." of, a Forgiveness by Lewis Smedes. S-M-E-D-E-S. Lewis Smeads, The Art of Forgiveness. If you have to deal with forgiveness in any way, shape, or form, if you know of somebody who's being devoured by anger and resentment because of something that was done wrong to them, you got to go pick up this little book, teeny little book, and have them read it, because it will lay out the path that they need to follow to forgive somebody. Now, the... Uh, uh, the book lays out a process. You know, he says that forgiveness is not a simple thing that you do. You don't like, as I said earlier, shake hands and forgive and forget. You, don't, you know, you don't like if you're in a fight with a schoolyard bully, you don't like forget forget it, shake hands, and like nothing happened. No. Smeed says that forgiveness is a process. It's a long process. It's a process that can take months, a year, even years to try to figure out how to let go of this, uh, of the feelings of resentment. So it's a long process. And, and the process begins like this The first step in Smeat's process is you refuse the right to get back or to get even. You refuse the right to get back or to get even. You know, it sounds nice, but it really is the first step because there's nothing sweeter. Than the fantasies of someone who has done you wrong, paid for the just desserts of their actions, and you know, we just would love to see them have the same thing happen to them. That somehow somebody would destroy their life, and just to know that would be like just so sweet. But Smeed says, "No, you gotta let that go. You gotta let go and trust what the scriptures teach that vengeance is mine," says God. Vengeance is not up to me vengeance is in God's hands I'm not going to try to get back or get even or settle the score I'm just going to let go and trust that God will take care of settling the scores you know for me it's a Christian view of karma uh, we don't get back at somebody because we believe that that the person will reap what they sow that eventually the energy then the actions that they put out there will eventually, come back to them and bite them themselves. So we don't need to do that. That somehow karma will do that, or in the Christian sense, God will do that. God will balance the scales. We don't need to balance the scales. So the first step is you have to let go the desire to get back or to get even. And so for me, I had to unclench my fist. I had to quit gritting my teeth. I just had to let go. You know, and if you've ever had to take this step, you know how hard it is because vengeance would be so sweet. You know, have you had this experience where you're um, driving down the road and somebody is speeding behind you and then they pass you crazy going like a thousand miles an hour and you think, God, where are the cops when you need them? And all of a sudden they're speeding right in front of a cop and suddenly there are the red and blues and they get nailed and you kind of think, that is so sweet that they finally being caught for what it is that they're doing. And, you know, you just, you got to let go of that. You've got to let go of that so you can move on. Okay, the second, second step in the process is reminding yourself that this person or these people who have done you wrong are just people and people are complicated and messy. This was hard for me because this step invites you to look uh, into your own mirror and under and accept your own humanity. You know, if you're going to forgive someone for what they've done you wrong, you have to look into your own mirror and look at the things that you have done wrong to other people and it invites you to step into your own mess. You have to realize that you are complicated, that you are messy, and you also need to be forgiven just as they need to be forgiven you know christians it's the heart of our faith uh jesus taught repeatedly that since god had forgiven us that we should be able to forgive those around us he taught several great parables one of my favorite parables is a parable that jesus taught about a king who had a servant and the servant owed him a life's wages or a year's wages rather a year's wages And uh, the person came in and bowed before the king and said, I can't pay it, I can't pay it. And instead of the king tossing the man into prison, he forgave the debt and set the man free. So the man went out. The very first thing the man did is he went and he found someone who owed him a small bit of money. And so he had that man arrested and thrown in jail because he was not going to forgive the smaller debt. And so the servants of the king came back and told the king that that the servant that he had forgiven was unable to forgive. And so the king called that servant back in and said, because you have not been able to forgive, I'm going to throw you in prison. I'm going to throw away the key. And the meaning of the parable is clear that we have been forgiven, that God has forgiven us. And since God has forgiven us, we then owe the responsibility to share that forgiveness. God has forgiven us so much that we are to forgive others the little that they have done for us. So it's a part of our ethic. It's a part of our faith. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, Jesus, it's not an uh, if you're going to do it or you might do it. It's no, you really have to take this seriously. You have got to get with the process of forgiveness because Jesus taught us to do that. And so, as his followers, we've got to get on with the process. So, you know, I found myself thinking about these two people. Two, I want i, I think they are two. I always thought there were two. Maybe there are five of them, ten of them. I have no idea. Um, but Smeed says that in the book, you have to talk about—you have to look at the fact that they are messy creations. You have to look at the fact that they are human beings. You have to look at the fact that uh, that they are as complicated as you are complicated, and that they are going to, uh, that you have to look at what brought them to this place, of where they've done you wrong. You know, I had to start looking at the f- fact that maybe they were um, maybe they came from a poor childhood where they were raised with a lack of education, a lack of teaching, Maybe they had lack of parenting. Uh, they had something that uh, was destroying their lives. Maybe they were addicted to drugs, and they had to steal to keep their addiction going. You know, I keep on thinking that there had to be something that drove these people to be thieves. And and actually, they were just more than like common thieves. They were becoming more very com- uh, complicated in their forgeries and what they were doing. You know, for me, it was just they were engaging in evil. Instead of praying for vengeance... I found myself, if they're really participating in an evil, that I should be praying for their wholeness and for their wellness. Because if this was evil, then it was this dark thing that was sucking them down. And there's, again, that part of me that said, so let it suck them down into darkness and depravity. But the person of faith inside me said, no, no, you've got to pray that somehow they will turn their lives around and step into wholeness and and health. Uh, you know this stage of forgiveness took me months to engage. I remember thinking about uh, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them they're complicated they're complicated people. Uh, when I would go for a run, I would think about it kind of that repetitive notion uh, motion they get into when you run. I thought about when I was journaling I would journal out uh, my need to forgive them. I would uh, think about this when I would pray. Um, here's a really important thing to do. I had to find a counselor. I had to th- find a therapist because it was way beyond me. It kept on happening over and over. New checks were being written, and new cases were had to be opened. It just would not go away. It wasn't rape. It wasn't murder. But, man, this thing was not going away. It kept on getting worse and worse and more and more complicated. But, you know, I had to get to a point where I could let them go. I had to to engage the process. It's like a cycle. You go back and forth between refusing the right to get even and coming to understand who they are as complicated people. You have to remind yourself that they are children of God and that they have been forgiven just as you have been forgiven. And you kind of cycle through that like a wash machine, you know, cycles through dirty clothes that... You're in that God's wash machine, that God's washing machine, that that cycle of of clean, of rinse, and repeat over and over. You know, for me, I did not want the ugliness and venom to fill my heart. You know, I just wanted to be at peace with these people. I wanted them to leave me alone. I wanted to leave them alone. I just wanted to find peace. Um. The, in the book *The Art of Forgiveness*, Lewis Smead says the final step is when you get to the point where you can just wish someone well. You know, it doesn't mean you want them back in your life. It doesn't mean that um, that you want to be reconciled to them. That's a really important thing. That just because you've forgiven somebody doesn't mean you want them back into your life. That's a, a problem that a lot of uh, people in abusive relationships think that because. They have forgiven the abuser. They think that they need to be reconciled to the abuser. That's not the case. You can forgive somebody and not want them back into your life. You can forgive somebody and still want them held accountable for what they did. You can forgive somebody and still believe that they should go to jail for what they did wrong. Forgiveness is really not something that you do for the other person. Forgiveness is something that you do for yourself. And you get to the point where you go through all this work of uh, letting go of the right to get even and walking around looking at how their lives were messy, how your life is messy, how you need to stand in forgiveness. And you cycle through that and cycle through that until you finally get to a peace, place of peace where you say, Okay, I get it. I, 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 I have peace. I'm kind of done with this whole thing. I wish you well. You're a child of God. I'm a child of God. I really wish you well on life's journey. Please don't re-engage my life. I just want to let go. I just want to find peace. And the cool thing is when you can say, I forgive you, what happens to you? Now, here's an interesting thing. You don't need to tell the person, I forgive you. That's a mistake a lot of people make. They think they got to go find the people and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm doing the righteous thing. I'm doing the holy thing. You know, oftentimes that backfires because the other person will say, what do you mean you forgive me? What the heck did I do? Now, sometimes it's just something you need to just say to yourself. You need to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. And when you're able to do that inside your heart, there's something inside you that begins to melt. Instead of the anger and resentment, you make uh, room for peace and grace and forgiveness, and hope, and and love. That uh, that that's what I began to experience when I was able to forgive these people. You know, the um, with each new check that was written, I had to go through the process over again. And I said, you know, I wish you well. I wish you wouldn't mess with my life, but I wish you well. And again, I finally got to the point where I could sleep at night. Um, I had to remind myself it wasn't rape. It wasn't murder. Uh, these people did not harm harm the kids. They did not harm me physically. I still had, you know, my body, my life. I still had my work. I still had my family, my friends. I still had all of this. So that really, if you put the, everything in perspective, it was not that big a deal. But it was something that was filling me with anger and resentment, and I just had to let it go. And I found that peace. I found the peace that Paul talks about that passes an understanding. So what about you? Where's your story of forgiveness? That place, that wound inside of you that that fills your heart with anger and angst. And maybe you're right there in the middle of it and that there's something going on in your life where you have to forgive. Then I want you to hear this little podcast today as a way of telling you, you know, don't don't drink the poison and hoping somebody else will die. You now You've got to come to a place of peace. God wants you to have a place of peace in your life. And there are things that you can do to find that sense of peace. To find that sense of wholeness and grace and love. But it begins with the hard, hard work of forgiveness. Of doing forgiveness. So I came to a place of peace. And I was really... Uh, ready and willing to let the people go. And for nine months, life was good. Life was good. Until they sold my identity and somebody committed a crime in my name and there was a warrant out for my arrest. Then, my understanding of Forgiveness and how God works went to a whole new level. And that's where I'm going to pick up next week with the Steve Poofs Benson Podcast. I hope you're doing great. Enjoy your week. Engage the process of forgiveness. Take care. We'll see you.